Welcome to a new episode in the Talk for Peace podcast series. The podcast series in which we discuss a variety and diversity of creative tools through which to facilitate dialogue in peacebuilding contexts. My name is Heidi Riley and I'm a research fellow in the School of Politics and International Relations in University College Dublin. And my name is Maria Adriana de Llana. I am a senior lecturer in the School of HAP at Queen's University Belfast. Together we are co-principal investigators for the Talk for Peace research project. The project explores the concept and practice of transformative mediation as a mechanism for inclusive dialogue in peace building. The project and podcast series is funded by the Higher Education Authority through the North-South Shared Island Initiative. To find out more, browse the website at www.talkforpeace.com and please follow us at talk underscore peace In this podcast, we explore creative approaches and methods in art, culture, sport, and other special interests that can be used to facilitate dialogue in a peace-bending context. More importantly, we meet uh, with practitioners, artists, and individuals that use or engage with a variety of creative tools in their practice and research. In this episode, we are excited to host three fabulous colleagues. We have Beatriz Arias-Lopez, who is a professor in community mental health at the University of Antioquia in Colombia. Uh, we have Berit Blisman de Guevara, who is a professor at the Department of International Politics and Aberystwyth University in the UK. And we have Christine Handra, who is Assistant Professor in the Department of International Relations and International Organizations at the University of Groningen. Uh, welcome to all, and thank you for accepting our invitation. Um, we look forward to having a conversation with you about your use and exploration of creative methods in your peacebuilding research. Just a quick note before we get started on the format of this podcast, because we have both English and Spanish speakers, we will be asking the questions in English. Beatrice will respond in Spanish and between Berit and Christine, they will provide a translation as well as responding independently to the questions in English. So to start us off, Christine, Berit and Bea, can you give us an overview of your collective research project that looked at peace building and reconciliation with a focus on Colombia? Bueno, um, el proyecto miradas, so basically, um, the project Unstitching Gazes or Destichiendo Miradas started in 2018, um, but it already started a bit earlier than that with a conversation Beatrice had with me uh, in a workshop in Northern Ireland. That was a workshop with some nine women working with textiles, peace, and academic research. Um, and um, it uh, is also related to work Beatrice has already done before with victims of um, the violent conflict where she used textile methodologies. Um, now in 2018, so 2016, there was the peace agreement in Colombia. So in 2018 or 2017, when we met, there was a new historical moment and really this opportunity to ask the questions, who are these people who have signed that peace agreement and with who are these people, she means, who are these uh, guerrilla fighters of the revolutionary armed forces of Colombia? Gracias. Thank you so much. I was excited to hear that the project originated in a conversation in Northern Ireland, given 
um, where we're speaking to you from and the focus of, of a lot of our research uh, so far. So um, just building on that, I wondered whether you could talk us through your choice of using stitching and embroidery as a research method for your project. Why did you particularly choose stitching and what were you hoping to achieve through this work? Um, so basically the use of kind of sewing and embroidery around the Colombian conflict has a history um, already, but within this particular project and also in work, previous work with um, conflict victims, um, it is a form of kind of engaging with the personal biographies of the people you're working with who are quite often from rural kind of agricultural backgrounds, peasant backgrounds and so on. And really to find like, uh, she calls it a horizontalizer for the communication and the knowledge. So bringing these knowledges of the people who have lived through the conflict in conversation with academic knowledge at the same level and um, textiles can help here. And this has been experimented with quite a lot with regard to conflict victims. Um, but in this particular project, we used it um, with uh, also with former guerrilla fighters Barrett, would you also like to say something from your own perspective? And then maybe, Christine, you might like to also respond to the question. And maybe also to say kind of embroidery or textile work was part of a wider methodology. So basically the question we asked was, so how do people, so what happens to people's subjectivities to their sense of self when they go through this transformation process and how do they build relationship with, relationships with others? And these others, like uh, if you look at it from the point of view of the Gurias, these others are then quite often victims of the violent conflict. So how do you, do you live on and live with these others together? And the wider methodology we used is called um, narrative practice. So the idea that we are all multi-storied beings and that there are different types of stories about ourselves. They're usually the dominant ones that we tell about ourselves in certain settings or that are being told about us, that who we are and what our biography is. Um, but then there are also alternative stories. There are silent stories, and there are those that are the preferred stories. So quite often in such contexts, the, the preferred stories are actually among the silenced ones and trying to get them out um, was one, one of the ideas we had with this methodology. So we use different methods to, to look at these different types of stories. We just did biographical interviews to come to these dominant stories of how people just tell their life story. We did ethnographic observation over the course of a year to see, okay, what stories do people not talk about? So what are those silences? And then when you go back um, every month for a week, you can see that. And then we used embroidery to invite people to say, okay, now what would you like other Colombians to know about yourself or about this process and to embroider that so, so that the story could be taken out there and get into dialogue with other people. So it's kind of, it's not just doing the embroidery, it's, it's part of a wider kind of methodology to think about how can you study changes in subjectivities and relationships. Um, maybe I can also chip in very briefly to add to that. Um, on the one hand, within the Desirienos project, um, I think there were also practical reasons for choosing embroidery and stitching. Um, so one of our project communities was in a very humid part of the country. Uh, another one was very high up on a mountain. So to we, we had to come up with kind of creative materials and practices that could be transported back and forth 
without risk of, you know, if they get wet, if they get rained on, um, how can we store them? How can we move them? Um, and textile work is actually, so it's relatively light. I mean, it's when you put it all together, it's actually quite heavy, but compared to other materials you could have, it's comparatively light. Um, and it's relatively um, resistant to all kinds of environmental influences. And I think that was also one consideration, sort of practically speaking, like how can you set up the fieldwork for this project? Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that for Berit and myself, I think it was a very exciting proposal that Beatrice made um, on that, I imagine, rainy workshop <laughs> occasion in Northern Ireland, um, because we had worked with textiles before, um, with textiles you know, speaking about conflict in different countries in Latin America, but also in Northern Ireland, also in the UK, um, had put together an exhibition on that. And a project that would then go to actively embroider to create its own exhibition in the process of the project um, seemed like a fantastic and also a very logical idea to us. Great, thank you. It, it sounds uh, really interesting of all the complexities and all the different dimensions of the, of the methodology. And obviously we are particularly interested in exploring the participatory potential of creative methods and you have really outlined how these play out in the project. But maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what was the response of the participants? Um, how uh, how did they engage with, uh, with, the, with the method that you proposed? Was there a reluctance, eagerness, curiosity, or was it something that just came naturally? Bueno, yo creo que no hay una sola forma de acercarse los participantes a los textos. There wasn't really that one form or that one response that we saw across the board, but there were very many different responses. Um, for from many women, especially many rural women, campesinas, for them, stitching, embroidery, sewing is part of their day-to-day -day life. It's a very regular activity, something completely normal, not out of the ordinary at all. Um, so for, for them, that was how they took our proposal as well. Um, and there was hence relatively little curiosity towards it. Curiosity wasn't what was driving them to participate. For some of the, especially for some of the young people that we worked with um, in more urban areas, um, they showed a huge curiosity by contrast, um, because for them, it's not part of the of their day-to-day -day quotidian life at all, um, whether in general or more particularly within the academy, within their school or university education. Um, so to, to see a research project that sort of proposed this as a way of making not least also academic knowledge, that really sparked their curiosity and there was a lot of enthusiasm um, for the method. Then with men, with male participants, we had kind of gone into the project expecting that we would meet more, that men would be the most reluctant group <laughs> to engage with the method. Um, and indeed, one observation of ours was that uh, there were always more women than men at any of our activities but the men who did show up um, and who they they were very engaged very curious they often came to and wanted to question their masculinities um, through this textile and stitching method um, and they were yeah very enthusiastic about these new ways of participating in a project and and to to kind of take it up 
Interesante, gracias. Uh, this is something I may add here. Um, if we think about it, sort of the reception within the academy, because we've also done um, quite a lot of workshops in university spaces within Colombia, there it's it's a very different kind of proposal. Um, and it really depends on uh, scholars' own epistemological commitments. So someone who's of a more critical or maybe feminist epistemological bend is probably going to be more inclined towards giving this a try and taking it seriously than someone who's coming from a more conventional epistemological background, let's say. Um, and finally, Bea, if I understood you correctly, you were saying that this was really, within this project, it was the biggest interest that you've witnessed in textile methods in almost 15 years of working with them. Um, which maybe also tells us something about the particular moment in which this project was shaping up and uh, rolling out in Colombia. If I can add something, um, I think one interesting question here is also how did the actually armed actors uh, react to the embroidery um, proposal? So we almost did not get the funding for this project because one of the reviewers was very convinced that embroidery is not a method you can use with former fighters. Um, and uh, fortunately, we did get the funding in the end. And yeah, as Beatrice said, um, in, in principle, also during the, the project in the very kind of regions where um, the former fighters are now settling. It was, again, more women than men participating, but that was also the same for our interviews. Those who did participate did some of the most iconic embroideries we have in, in our collection of embroideries because everybody was used to using needle and thread during the war because they had to mend their clothes. They had a kind of, everybody had a code, a number to mark their clothes. So you would find them after washing them all together in the river, you would find your own t-shirts and so on. So everybody knew how to do embroidery stitches. Everybody knew how to sew. It wasn't a weird thing to have needle and thread in your in your hands, neither for the women nor for the men. Um, so I think uh, this is more about perhaps unstitching our own stereotypes that we bring with us rather than uh, saying something about uh, armed actors. Really fascinating. And I think so interesting around what you say about the armed actors, particularly how men engaged in the process and how these types of projects can challenge assumptions around gender norms, around expectations of masculinities. Christine, did you want to add something yeah, um, I think, uh, so on the one hand, just to, to emphasize what Berit said, um, some of our male participants who are former FARC combatants um, were the most enthusiastic about this, um, and I had the chance to interview a few of them. Um, they, they, they shared very profound experiences of what this embroidery work was like for them, that it was really quite, it moved a lot within them also emotionally and spiritually. And they they really embraced it. So it, it wasn't something that, you know, they gave it a try and then were like, okay, fine, but um, something that really clicked with them. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, um, which I think is coming from a more international perspective, every time that I'm in Colombia, and this time again, I am really struck by uh, how much textiles, um, textile craft, embroidery are also part of, let's say, the broader culture here. Um, if you go and visit exhibitions here in a museum, I think you're much more likely to come across a work of textile art than you are in a major or minor museum in Europe. And this is also how, how again, how the stitching makes sense 
both to our project participants and then to some of the people who went to the exhibitions, who visited them and who were like, yeah, oh yeah, clearly people embroidered their favorite life stories. Thank you so much. And and actually that reminds me of that wonderful exhibition that was here on conflict textiles, which I think a lot of the the uh, pieces had had come from uh, parts of Latin America, certainly from Colombia. But I just wanted to go back on one question around the recruitment of participants. I just wondered how participants were recruited and how you promoted the project to potential participants. We did have access problems, but that didn't have so much to do with the textile making, but with the project as such, and also with how the peace agreement worked. So the peace agreement um, was signed or first negotiated and then signed with a very centralized military structure of the guerrilla. Um, and in this military hierarchy, the men are, have more like have the leading roles, uh, the women not so much. And this also kind of shaped the access points that we had. So very centralized access points that we had to negotiate with people for access to do the project, which would afterwards not even uh, participate in it. So the people we talked to first to get access, so the access was very complex. And the, the first we had to kind of almost like break these vertical structures of the military hierarchy um, because it was men basically to give us access, but then we would mainly work with women. So we we really kind of managed to break these structures when we start to access women directly and to ask them whether they wanted to participate. And because the women who were in the guerrilla were mainly these rural women for whom it was very natural to think about embroidery and to kind of express themselves through embroidery, that was then not a problem at all. But even like getting to those interested participants was the actual problem. So, yeah, in a sense, this type of making a scene as like feminine and so on helped in that sense to, to get access to some. I could also add to this that one of the villages, so it's one of these new areas of reincorporation, so-called, so a, a place that was built by former fighters to settle there, where we did the majority of, of our field work. There were lots of projects there, lots of researchers, lots of government agencies passing through there and so on. And all of them first talked to the former commander and the former subcommanders and all of the men. There were some so although there were lots of projects and lots of people passing through, which we observed when we did our um, uh, our ethnographic observation, um, hard, there were some people who were hardly ever talked to. These were the people who engaged in our pro project and who we engaged with. So I think it's also a form of offering a different form of expression, a different voice, so that others can actually also say how they are experiencing the process. So it's not just what the commander says what he thinks everybody is experiencing, but actually uh, to bring in other voices as well. And so also the men who participated actively in our embroidery were not necessarily these kind of former leaders, but others who were more on the margins of that process and who actually found textile making to be a, a form of, of telling their story for once. I think it's a wonderful example of participatory and inclusive research in which there is a creative product at the end. And I'm sure there's interesting to hear about how this um, contributes to kind of social cohesion in, in the group. But I might just ask, how do you think this approach can be used more broadly in other peace building contexts? So, yeah, this is absolutely a process that can be used in any type of peace process, not just to do research, because this was not just about doing a research project. This was to create... Um, a societal dialogue around something that is 
quite contested. So um, there is a peace agreement in Colombia signed in late 2016, but it doesn't mean everybody is in favor of that peace. Um, some are in favor of peace, but not this particular one. They would like to see the agreement otherwise somehow. Um, others don't think peace should have been um, negotiated in the first place. So it's kind of a quite contested process, right, which is not easy and so on. So the whole point of this um, process that we uh, did with the textiles and with making them and exhibiting them and creating a process which is also textile around how visitors then um, respond to these textiles, what we call textile resonances, is about creating a form of dialogue, which and we call it textile resonances, this process. So, so basically, we invite um, visitors and, and workshop participants to embroider in response to what they are seeing in the exhibitions. Um, and to reflect on their own positionality in that peace process um, and and kind of with regard to other violences perhaps that are also going on because one thing is the kind of armed conflict but then there are many other kind of injustices and violences as well and we call it textile resonances because a resonance if you make a sound and some object resonates with it, it doesn't have to be harmonious it's just being touched by it but you can be you you can have your own thoughts about it, right? But it doesn't leave you untouched. So basically, this is not about reconciliation in the kind of closing sense. This is about opening up conversations around what that peace process should be and where it should lead and so on. So I think this is really why this process can be used or this this kind of textile making process that we started can be used anywhere and it can it can work anywhere plus textile making actually when you think about it the whole thing about textiles and what we wear what is around our bodies all day uh, every day um, is a very universal thing so it has no no reason to believe it can't work in other places I actually almost think that sometimes we don't use crafts like textile making because of our own stereotypes and what we think we can bring to our participants rather than that they wouldn't engage with it. Christine, do you have anything that you would like to add there? Yeah, um, so to kind of build onto or yeah, thread from one of the points that Bielent made, I think there is something very particular about textiles and textile making that really facilitates conversations. And we've seen that in our fieldwork, we've seen that in the resonances in our different exhibitions. Um, when people are, you know, sitting down collectively and doing something with their hands, um, it leads both on an individual level and also collectively to a different kind of thinking, a more open atmosphere in, in which many people actually share things they've never shared before. Um, and, and thoughts and feelings flow in a different way. Um, that has certainly been our experience with textiles and textile making, um, which on the other hand, I do not want to essentialize textiles so that they are not you know, inherently peaceful. I think this also relates back to something Berit said. Um, they they are very often, yeah, they, they have this feminized image, you know, they're soft, they're peaceful, they're kind of harmless. Um, that is not actually necessarily so. That is just our stereotypical view of them. But I do, I, I am very convinced that they can really facilitate conversations. Um, and the other thing I wanted to add is that I think the project also shows how whichever creative approach you take, um, within a project, whether it's a research project or a political project um, around questions of violence, peace, conflict, it really needs to be context specific. Um, I, I think one of the reasons why the project 
achieved as much as it did was that it was so well suited to the context in Colombia um, that Beard and myself, I think we we learned so much from our Colombian colleagues who who set it all up, who had the initial idea, who who are so intimately familiar with that context. Um, so that is very important. It's not something that you know us sitting in whichever university in the UK um, or in the Netherlands where I am based now. Um, in my office, I just think it up. But I think it's really also the kind of project that requires um, a lot of collective work behind the scenes um, and a lot of awareness and appreciation of and respect for the particular context in which you're going to work. Great. Thank you. Can I maybe ask a couple of questions more about the specific uh, dialogue that the project sparked in relation to the context of Colombia? Because obviously, uh, the the textiles that were produced as part of the project uh, were exhibited, I think, locally, regionally, as well as uh, nationally and internationally. So we are curious to hear more about the kind of conversations uh, that the exhibitions created in relation to the specificities of uh, of the context in Colombia. Bueno, mm, nosotros trabajamos, digamos que el nombre de Seguido Miradas so let's start with the actual name of the project, which is both a metaphor and a practice. Um, as a metaphor, it relates to this idea that's really circulating quite widely in Colombia of the enemigo interno, the internal enemy of society, who's actually, you know, very far removed from the rest of society. It's um, former FARC fighters, other armed actors who are, well, you know, not really members of society. Um, and the metaphor of Destejer is then how to unstitch this idea or, you know, more generally how to unmake this idea. But Destejer is really to, to unstitch. Um, and the project then um, took up this metaphorical idea and really put it into practice. Um, into pre into embodied practice, into you know unstitching this idea through our own bodies um, in in the different workshops we ran, in the exhibitions we had, um, where people, as we explained before, were invited to also produce textile resonances um, with what they were encountering in the exhibition. Yeah, so um, these four uh, methods of engaging were like what we mainly did during the first three years of the project. And then in the last two years, um, we've taken it more to, to formulate unstitching gazes as a pedagogical tool as well. And it has really shown, so these workshops have really shown how they move per people personally. We just had, um, um, so a, a colleague of ours has written a blog post about how she visited one of our exhibitions with her mother. And it starts with her retelling um, her childhood and how she would always see these things on TV and so on, hear about the guerrilla and the internal uh, enemies and, and so on. And how basically going to that exhibition really humanized um, the guerrilla fighters uh, in a way that... Um, she hadn't expected and it's really nice to see how people are personally moved um, by these exhibitions mm -hmm. so basically what we are doing is kind of unstitching that um, narrative on, on a very small scale really um, but it's a start for a conversation um, and we've also tried to kind of 
take that threat to other places, so to speak, um, by, for example, um, uh, putting on multiplier workshops or what what in, in, in Spanish you call seed beds, um, where we've worked with different people who in turn in their work, like teachers or, or, or um, university lecturers or people doing um, civil society work who work with children and young people so that the method is taking, taken elsewhere as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this was um, mostly done in the final phase of the project, um, which was really dedicated to developing Destigien Numeradas also into a kind of um, pedagogical method that can be applied by different people in different places, taken up and 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 used in youth education, for example. Um, and this this um, sort of more consolidated pedagogy of Stitch is one of the tangible outcomes or outputs of the project. So we have this, we have the traveling exhibition. Um, there is also a book that collects all the um, textile narratives that our project participants made. Um, and there is a website that's publicly accessible and uh, that is bilingual in Spanish and English. So it can also be engaged by international audiences. Maybe, Barrett, uh, you could provide some details of where the resources associated with the project can be found. So the, the project website where you can find all the materials is called destejendomiradas.com. So that's des minus techendomiradas in one word dot com. Uh, and you will find it in whatever you call it for a podcast, the show notes, I guess. <laughs> um, yes. There's also a little, a little booklet that was just recently, um, designed. It's uh, available in English and Spanish, like the whole website, which, uh, is called Unstitching Gazes, which really is a guide book to this resource for work with uh, collectives, communities, so how to use the textile narrative uh, with groups to do exactly what we did. And we go through it step by step so people can take the methodology and make them uh, make it work for their context, which doesn't have to be, by the way, a context of violent conflict. I think we all have to unstitch gazes all the time. So there's a lot to do. It could be any any context, really. Thank you. And it really resonates also with some of the ideas that we are trying to grapple with in the project of, you know, how do we measure what the impact of these creative methods is? And sometimes it's also sending out these ideas into the world and seeing what happens uh, beyond, for example, the original group. So this is very interesting. And we may think about ways in which perhaps we can engage with teaching and with, you know, some of the legacies that we have in the island of Ireland um, will be quite interesting, I think. Yes, and I think what's particularly interesting about this project is that um, it differs somewhat to some of the other um, practitioners that we have spoken to who are doing wonderful uh, work using creativity and inclusive dialogue, but bridging the gap between academia and practice in this project I find particularly interesting. And I think um, for listeners that are in the field of academia, it's just a wonderful way to think about a more engaging way and the ethics maybe which in some cases I think can be can be quite extractive 
as opposed to participatory. Just to um, add to that, so we've also used this methodology for our own uh, reflexivity, so for our reflective processes in our work. So the same textile and um, kind of narrative resonances methodology that we've used with participants and with visitors and, and participants in our workshops and exhibitions, we've used on ourselves as a group of uh, researchers to reflect on the things we were bringing to the research. We were unstitching throughout the research and how that affected how we, we were interpreting our, our data as well. So, and I think it's like with uh, everything we've said before, um, Textile work or creative work is not necessarily more ethical just because it's creative or textile or participatory work is not more ethical because it's participatory, but you can make it really ethical and um, it can be much more inclusive and much more um, reflexive um, than kind of more standard ways of approaching um, research topics, I think. So that's that's really quite it's really quite important to think about how you do it. But I think if it's done well, it's it's so rich and it offers so many opportunities really to to, to bridge that gap between yeah academia on the one hand and kind of activism or uh, whatever you want to call it on the other. Thank you. You're really inviting us to think more deeply about stitching and textiles as both creative endeavors and research methods, but also for showing us the care and the ethics that are required to, to realize the potential of these kinds of projects. So as our conversation comes to a close, can you please tell us what's next for this project? Will your work with textiles and embroidery continue? Bueno, mm, nosotros pensamos que tejiendo miradas no para. Okay, so um, des tejiendo no para, des tejiendo hasn't stopped, it's not stopping. There are many, many gazes that uh, still need to be unstitched, that we still need to unstitch. Um, also, beyond topics of armed conflict, of violent conflict, um, gazes to do with all kinds of conflicts within societies. And textiles, textile narratives, stitching really allow us to get to experiences or get at experiences, I guess, um, that are maybe so troubling and so difficult that they are hard to put into words um, and, and something that cannot be expressed in words very often then goes kind of unrecognized within our research. And this is what the textile narratives really get at. Um, they're also very good at getting at uh, things that are taboo, that that we don't allow ourselves usually to talk about. Um, and for that, uh, the textile methodology is really rich and very, very promising. We were all coming to Destichiendos from different disciplinary and also personal starting points. Um, and the, the Destichiendos process has really been for, for each and every one of us to coming from that starting point, then collectively engage with the questions we're asking, um, also on a very personal level. We we have in this process seen how the Destichiendos methodology is really very potent. Um, for example, when we um, use textile narratives to uh, generate new research questions um, or to think through research ideas, we every single time we see more and more questions emerge. So it's it's kind of a very productive method as well. Finally, um, textile narratives and uh, the Desirienus methodology, it's not one methodological option amongst 
many, you know, um, but it is actually, it has become the methodological way to go um, for us. And again, to re-emphasize that we're not just asking our participants to stitch, but we also ourselves stitch. We, you know, unstitch through our own bodies, our own practice. And in that way, um, the textile narratives really also become, they, they kind of bear witness to our own thinking about our research, but also about um, life more broadly. And one thing we have more recently started to think about and look into more is how to actually analyze textiles. So the majority of us have been trained uh, to analyze texts first and foremost, and textiles are very different beasts. So um, how do you deal with them analytically? Um, how do you analytically live up to them? Um, that is a question uh, we, we are very much driven by at the moment. Barrett, do you have any final thoughts before we finish up? So, um, I mean, Beatrice has mentioned it. We come from very different disciplines. So we have uh, uh, people from the School of Nursing. We have people from international relations. We have social anthropologists, historians, uh, linguists, so all sorts of people uh, on our team and people who have kind of left the team but were part of it for a while. Um, and it, this method um, has, I guess, worked for all of us in some way, and we've taken it back to our disciplines as well. So we've made it work interdisciplinarily, but we've also tried to take it back. So one thing that um, Christine and I have done recently, together with two other colleagues, Amaya and Victoria, is try to write an article to think through what textiling could mean for world politics and for our engagement, academic engagement with world politics. So that's less of a practical-oriented kind of empirical piece, but really to think through what kind of epistemology is enabled by textiling, by thinking through things in textiles, but also could we think of other ontologies, other ways of understanding the world if we think through textiles. So it's a, it's kind of trying to take our practical engagement, our experiences back to some um, kind of more academic musings, let's say, uh, about what that could mean of how we could engage with international politics differently and how um, how, how also to shape our academic practice differently through that. Yeah, just one very little thing to add on to that. Um, our conversation today has just made me realize how in that piece that Berit was talking about just now, um, we are taking up one of the key ideas of Desteriendos, which is that it's both a metaphor and a practice. And that is how we also go about it in in our proposal for what textiling and textile making could could mean for the discipline of IR to say, well, let's look at this as a concept, as a metaphor, and as a practice. And it's always all of those things at once. It can't be separated out. I think a piece that we are very excited to be able to share hopefully soon. And there are, because Beret said it's it's a bit more theoretical perhaps than our other work, but there are going to be textile examples in it that we made specifically for this article. So <laughs> Final observation, perhaps, with regard to what Beatrice just said, it's quite obvious from our long process of working on this now that the people who stayed with the process and for whom, uh, as Beatrice said, um, textile works not just an option, but the option, are the people who have taken up needle and thread themselves and have done it. So those who have been reluctant to using it are not with the process anymore. They've kind of moved on and do different things. So not we are not trying to say everybody should do embroidery and sewing now, right? So that's not the point. But it's like if you do it and if you feel if you feel that really speaks to you, it resonates with you and how 
how you can engage with the world, then you will find that it's something that you can't leave kind of you, you can't not do it anymore after that so it's really I guess with creative methods about finding that method that resonates with you most but then once you've found it you will just stick with it. Well Christine, Bea and Berit thank you so much for sharing insights from this wonderful work uh, you've given us so much food for thought in terms of cultivating creativity and using textiles to really unstitch Uh, conventional narratives we have about conflict and peace and of course about the gender stereotypes and tropes that are at the very core of it. Also thank you for showing us how this creative approach really opens up new conversations and opportunities for dialogue in academia, practice and activism. Uh, This is something that we are really interested in this project and that I think will resonate um, with our listeners. Beatriz, Siento no poder conversar contigo en español. Eh, gracias por compartir tu conocimiento eh, con nosotras y mucha suerte con el futuro de este proyecto. Please do check out the links to resources associated with Unstitching Gazes Destigiendo Morados, which you can find on the show notes. Thank you very much. Thank you.